New Black Nation, your political digest with a Black conservative twist. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of New Black Nation podcast, your political digest into everything Black and conservative um, with some nuance themes in between. I'm Brandon Wang. Gregory Victorin. And we're happy to be with you again. Uh, Today, we're going to be kind of talking about some random stuff, but of course, always relevant. Um, We want to talk about a couple of things like the distance learning situation that's going on with kids. Um, For all of our listeners that have parents and fun things like that, or that are parents and have kids. Um, We're going to be talking a little bit about how we feel about the debate that's going on. Um, tonight, as we're recording this episode, maybe not when we're posting this episode, but when we're certainly recording this episode. Um, and then we're just going to talk about some generalized stuff as we go on. Um, but let's start off with the distance learning. Um, Greg, would you like to give us a, you know, a starter to what distance learning is, perhaps maybe for people who are listening who don't understand what the whole situation is. Um, And then I would say, give me a generalized overview of how you feel about the whole situation. Well, where we are right now, um, and um, New Jersey, um, SS County, almost everywhere, um, we opened their school. And not only did we open, they gave some parents options you know, if you want, if you if you want your child to come, you know, uh, four days a week, or you know, um, three days a week. So they give parents different options um, that you know wants to send their kids back to school. But unfortunately, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, the parents didn't get to make that choice. That choice was made for them. So that's where we are currently in New York. Um, almost everywhere is open for school. Kids are going back to school. Um, you know, in most places, they monitor the situation. Um, for example, my oldest daughter, they take um, her temperature before she goes in. They make sure they check with the parents to make sure that, you know, the kid wasn't sick, um, you know, during the weekend, and then you bring them in, you know, to school. So, there's open um, communication between the, um, the teachers, the schools, and the parents. Um, so it's a good thing for the places that, you know, we open their school. But unfortunately for a lot of people here in Elizabeth, um, they are furious. Like they, they're going crazy because the job is reopening and some people this is the chance and opportunity for them to go look for a new job for those that had lost their job. And for those that, you know, was affected, you know, they want to go out there and try to find something um, to bring in some income and to move on with their life. Um, but they don't have that luxury because they did not reopen their schools. And the complaints that we have from a lot of parents also, kids that was already um, delayed uh, is even worse for them. 
um, they really not learning anything uh, with this um, social distance um, thing. By the time that the teacher get their intention, the subject is already over. Um, it's a bad situation. For example, my wife, um, she's home, you know, with um, three of them plus a baby. So all three of them, they, they have different class and they're in different subjects. So imagine you have three kids in um, 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 social distance learning and you have a baby and you have to sit with two of them that cannot do it for themselves. Um, it, it's, it's a tough situation for a lot of people. Right. I mean, it's it's really getting really crazy, I mean, especially for, you know, it works for, you know, obviously, as, as most situations we see today, it works pretty well for suburban, you know, wealthy kids, right? But we have kids who are, you know, just middle class or um, lower um, class. It definitely doesn't work out really well at all because... You know, you have people basically essentially saying, okay, let's just close school. You know, we're going to give these packets out and that's going to make us feel a little bit better. Um, one thing that I definitely want to preference is that is that a summer pack is not going to do for the year, um, a, a year of institutional learning. You know, there's so much more that they're going to, the children are going to be able to learn in the classroom. Um, that they're definitely not going to be able to learn from a summer packet. You know, it's essentially just a summer packet, like basically what they give them every summer, you know, to try to keep them, you know, motivated a little bit during the summer and not lose much. I mean, the retention rates are very low, you know, when you're just completely disconnected from the classroom setting. And that's why, you know, there's always these debates over whether or not we should make summer vacation less you know, or do year-round schooling, um, because when kids have such a major break or lapse in their education, they come back and they're really far behind. And again, if you're a rich suburban parent, um, that's no problem for you because you can hire tutors. You can hire people to come in and, you know, and work one-on-one -on -one with your children or make customized lesson plans that will ensure that they still have the knowledge that they need to continue on. Um, but in, you know, poor communities, people don't have that benefit. Um, and that's really going to be a lapse on, on this generation um, because of this extended period of time when they've been out of school. Oh, yeah. yeah. About that. And it's predominantly affecting like black and Latino communities as well, as well as poor white communities. But, you know, this is predominantly affecting a lot of these groups. How do you feel about that? Well, yeah, uh, it don't matter what color you are. As long as you poor, you affected. <laughs> mm -hmm. You, you know, you, uh, you, you affected by it, um, you know, because in the end of the day, if you really look at it, you know, if our kids do not succeed, they're not going to get a job. You know, they're not going to be successful. And the other hand, even if their kids do not succeed, guess what? They still get the better job and they still will be successful. So 
you know, um, when you're comparing, you know, the suburban moms with, with this situation, to me, it's like, you know, they they up there regardless. You know, win or lose, they got it. You know, um, but I will, you know, listen, the teachers in New York, right? Here's the conversation that they were having just to show you how different, you know, they are versus New York and New Jersey and how their mindset work. The teachers in New York say that because of the two, um, this thing started in March, right? So because of, um, I think March, it was three months that they was doing virtual learning with the, um, with the kids. They, they reported that the kids did not learn anything and they did more work virtual versus in the classroom with the kids. They said they had to keep calling those kids' parents to make sure that these kids was coming on so they could start their, their, their class. And, you know, it's just to show you, you know, some teachers, they do care because it, that's why most teachers in New York went back because they feel like it's unjust for the kids themselves. So they will rather go back and work with the um, students. Here in New Jersey, I had one teacher that called me for my daughter, um, and she said that it was only three of them that had reported for the past three months in class. It was my daughter and two other um, children, and she just wanted to call, you know, to tell us thank you. But she said, unfortunately, they're going to have the same grade with everybody else, even the one that did not come online. So... For a parent, you will be happy why. Your kids get a passing grade for what? They didn't do nothing. So, and that's the mentality that we're teaching our kids to get rewarded for things that they did not do and get rewarded for reward that they don't deserve. Yeah, and you bring up, you bring up a really good, interesting um, clause there. The, you know, the, the the thing that I always have a tendency to attack, like <laughs> viciously, um, the American... Um, everyone gets a trophy mentality and it's like so far from what is actually productive for people and what is realistic for people in my sense now i get it on this side of one side of the argument you say well if you encourage children it's going to make them be a lot better you know their confidence will be better so they'll perform better you know and some people you know there are studies that show that people are you know do well with encouragement um versus disincentivizing people to move forward but at the same time you also have a reality of the situation like where not everything could be in that way like for example if it comes to something as simple as like you know a sports competition extracurricular activity you know hobbies things like that that's great but then in reality when you actually have to learn something you know you're gonna need to really make sure that you put in the work and put in the time and the emphasis on it like for example you know let's say you're just passing through someone in, in the nuclear physics department or biological engineering department you can say yeah 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 you're doing great yeah yeah a for you a for you but really you fail these classes what happens when you get to an actual job in biomedical engineering or nuclear physics physics and you add know absolutely nothing about your field <laughs> like did the encouragement help there i mean you know, did it make you any better as a physicist or a, a, a biologist 
But you know why, if you look at the data, right, the uh, suicide rate with millennials you know, is very high. It's because of that reason, because they feel like, you know, they, they finish college, they enter the world to make a difference. And then when they realize that, you know, they cannot make a difference in the world, or when they realize that you don't get a trophy for being in second place or in third place, and they feel useless. And most of them commit suicide because of this reason. You know, it's because, you know, they, you know, they, they get a reality check. Hey, this is the real world. And unfortunately, they were not prepped enough for it and, and they were not ready to deal with the real world. So the, 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 um, the suicide rate is very high for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you have people who are like over coddled, like, and it also makes people extremely lazy, right? Because, you know, instead of actually having to work harder, you know, or work towards being as close to perfect as you can be, because obviously no one is perfect, but being as close as working towards being as perfect as you can be, you know, really instills a, a certain work ethic within you. And it instills a certain character in you um, to really be able to withstand a lot of the uh, a lot of life's bumps in the road because it's it's all fine and dandy to make everyone feel great you know for the first segments of their lives but as you said when reality hits and they go back to school you know and they go in the real world and they realize that you know everything's not all poodles and kittens then you know they have a very tough time getting on in society and maybe they may not kill themselves you know but certainly you see a lot of these people are you know you know don't perform as well maybe don't have as many um opportunities or advantages that other people who have who are a lot stronger um emotionally and um can can manage and handle you know and that's something that's extremely important like even these people you see like in this day and age we have such a culture of everyone is so offended everyone is so kind of fragile and you have to kind of walk on eggshells you know to kind of make ends meet you know and it's just like you know that's a hundred percent reflection of this everyone gets a trophy mentality and this kind of coddle mentality um, that we have in American society today. And it's extremely dangerous. Yeah, you know, um, to your point, you know, like you say, you know, uh, it's very true because nowadays, I don't even think people give someone a compliment and say, hey, you look nice today. <laughs> so... Yeah, you'll um, be on me too. <laughs> I just keep it moving, you know. I, the people that I have conversation with, I have conversation with, but other people, I just keep it moving because, you know, you're living in a dangerous time right now. Anything, you know, could be perceived the wrong way. And, you know, it, it, it's just, we're creating a situation that is, is bound to fail and people is bound to get hurt in the end because that's not how society functions. Right. And it's very much like, you know, the situation that we're, we're seeing now with distance learning, you know, and, and these governments everywhere are setting children up to fail, you know, yet again, 
you know, and it seems like all of the things that they're teaching them is just teaching them to be extremely weak or extremely disconnected um, from reality and everything that's around them, you know, and it's just like, how do you expect, you know, people to learn, you know, to your point, your original point about the um, um, giving everyone a passing grade, you know, because of the situation that's going on. You know, how does that help them? Like, how does that help them achieve grade level reading and all of these situations? Like, I can see perhaps if you if you've done certain things with like a senior, you know what I mean? Like a senior in high school um, or or even maybe even a junior. Um, But when you're talking about elementary school kids, you know, they it's crucial like elementary and middle school education is extremely crucial for the learning development of the individual you know yes you'll learn some stuff in high school and there's things there i'm not taking anything away from what you learn in high school but particularly your basic foundations start in elementary school and middle school and if you don't have that set up and you just have a scenario where you're just bringing everybody in and not requiring them to learn for a very extended period of time, um, I can't see how that's going to be at all helpful for kids. You know, there needs to be a better system put in place to ensure that all of these children are going to be able to get those basic foundations. You know, and and really set it up and work it out. So if you're doing an online learning class, make sure you have video segments up ready for all of the children to learn. Um, Make sure that you have more teachers in place to assist the regular teachers or teachers assistants so they can come out and assist and help with tutoring just to ensure that these students all have, you know, the information that they need. You know, um, the other thing too, a lot of parents are complaining. They can, even the one that's trying to sit with their kids to do the work, they cannot do it. Uh, you know, because this, the the system, uh, the school, um, the learning process changed so much. You know, it's not the same thing that they knew that they're teaching the kids um, today. And you know, if, if we go back, you know, and we spoke about this before. I'm talking about setting up a kid, you know, to have a mentality, you know, to have free things. I, like, you know, I deserve this, so therefore I should have it. This is this is this is the perfect example. You know, this is gonna damage them for the rest of their life. So, and if you look at those so-called politicians, where do they send their kids to school? And you have to ask yourself this question: Are their kids home? Or or their kids, you know, in private school where they're paying thousands of dollars um, to make sure that their kids are safe and why, you know, they're doing all these things that they're doing. So their kids are not home. They wouldn't they wouldn't leave their kids home and stuff. So, you know, people just have to look at the whole situation and go back to your um, uh, 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 um, books and do some research. 95% 95% of those government officials, they do not have their kids in the same school that they control. Yeah, I mean, most politicians have their kids in, in very elite private schools. And, you know, they get the top tier level of education. So it seems like it comes down to a point where, 
you know, we only care about our students or America's youth when they're America's wealthy youth, you know, or affluent youth or, you know, recognizable youth. And it's just, you know, it's a sad thing because then we don't have enough opportunity for people to actually get out, get out there and do things. And I would say this also brings up a, you know, important um, motivator for school choice, right? Yeah. So, and what we're looking at here, we're seeing that because for example, let's say we did have, you know, innovative schools, right? Because there are several charter schools that, you know, were able to seamlessly go into this distance learning thing. You know, they already had, you know, iPads for their kids, you know, they already had like kind of like an online approach for doing things even pre-COVID, you know? So when they transitioned over to this system, they were able to quickly adapt and say, hey, let's, you know, focus on doing this, you know, or we already have the iPads. Let's let the kids bring them home and then let's, you know, kind of tailor some lessons off. And if we continue on this track, it's going to make schools a lot more competitive. And most certainly, you know, I think going forward, more schools are going to have, you know, kind of a distance learning component to schooling, you know, going forward, or at least some videos and things like that, you know, to encourage them to think about some of these things. And I think in that kind of school choice environment, you know, you have a lot more growing room right because it's more for profit in their situation and it's a you know high level of a competition you know they'll get more opportunities to kind of excel and do these things as like private schools would um but what would you say is the solution for public schooling i mean do we think that public schooling can be saved because not not only have we seen that public school you know is not only you know screwing america's youth over day by day as it relates to learning competency levels we see that they're also not very agile and not very ingenuitive or innovative you know in times of crisis like this because they will just allow their students to go through so what is the recipe for success here or for change um, for the public school sector um, and just education in general well, I think, you know, with the school system, um, to your point, right, I think having more teachers and um, helping in the school is a plus. Um, if a classroom has 15 kids, you have one teacher, you know, it's not really, you know, not all the kids gonna have the same uh, um, level of education because you do have kids uh, with behavior problem and you do have kids that, you know, learn, uh, uh, takes more time to learn than others. So to put more teachers in the classroom, that's a plus. Um, to me, right, um, the way I look at it and stuff, School should not be telling. There are certain subjects school should not be teaching to kids. Number one, that's for parents. There's a job for the school to do, and there's a job for the parents to do. The school wastes more time 
trying to get information from their kids or what's going on in their home versus trying to get the kid to the level that they need to be to be successful. And, you know, and, and I understand if you see a kid, you know, he doesn't look like he's being fed. He doesn't look like, you know, you know, good, good. I'm all for it. Do that investigation. But I think they're more focused on, uh, you know, and the kids, you know, being what they want to be or do what they want to do versus teaching the kids and giving them direction um, uh, and preparing them um, for tomorrow. So in an ideal world, for me, any governor or uh, government official that have any says of what goes on in my school, number one, I will vote and protest for your kids to attend the school that you have control over. Because if your kids are in the school, guess what you're not going to do? You're not gonna abuse the, um, the system. You're not gonna manipulate um, the kids because why? Your kids is getting the same education, facing the same teachers other kids are facing. So to me, the first thing I will fix, every problem, uh, I mean, every government official will have to have their kids in the public school because our tax dollars is paying education for somebody else's kid and why we left our kids in the um, jacked up schools. And to your point, free, uh, free school choice right now, we should have had that. Because imagine the parents that you know cannot do it at home, at least they will have an option to bring their kids somewhere else to a different district. Right now, they don't have that choice at all. Right. And and I'm such a proponent for school choice simply because as well, it's not even just the fact of being able to have a parent say, you know what, I'm going to go to another district and send my school to a better uh, district that's performing a lot better. Um, it also um, it also encourages businesses and people to become and educators to become a lot more innovative to ensure that students are coming to their schools and you know they're getting the money for their schools because essentially we're saying here you know you are rewarded for the amount of students or really the amount of parents that you can convert to, to believe in your project and believe in your educational system um, and it's going to be something that's driven off results right because you know parents are going to be simply looking for what are the results whether what the statistics for your school you know how good are you at educating our, our schools and the schools will know that and they will know that in order for them to get paid and in order for them to maintain their salaries that they need to perform at a certain level so that parents will enroll their kids to those schools. And like as a second part to that, it will also encourage educators to be more um, to be more intuitive to the different learning styles that we have. And I feel that with school choice, we're going to actually have, you know, the opportunity to have more nuanced schools, you know, or niche markets for certain schools. So, for example, you brought up there could be problem children, children that cause a ruckus in class. Perhaps we can have more studies 
going on towards students who are in that boat to really find out why they are causing a problem in class. Perhaps there's a different way of learning or a different style of learning that will suit those personality types a lot better. So maybe they need to do a lot more, you know, live activities and learn, you know, in reality or learn on the go or have specific uh, information tailored to them. Having school choice will allow those type of niche schools to um, step up open, again. right? Step up their game and actually be created because right now we don't have those, right? We have like a military school, but maybe that helps in, in a lot of cases for them as well. But maybe not all of them want to go into the military or want that style. There could be another innovative style, and having school choice will allow educators to create a school like that and then provide that service for people who are out there. Yeah, because, you know, um, trust me, man, school choice, most poor people don't know it, but that's the best choice for them. Um, that's, that would be a part of leveling the field as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and at the very least, it'll encourage public schools to get a lot better. Yeah. You know, and, and, and challenge themselves more so they don't lose their students. But, you know, it amazed me, though, right? And I didn't want to say that, and I didn't want to get into it. It's a, it. It amazed me how the Democrats always champion that, you know, they want to do good, they want to help our children, but yet something so simple as school choice, you refuse to, to pass that bill. I, I just don't you know, I, I, I do not understand it. You want the kids to stay in school that's all failing, in school that where they're not being successful. And the ones that are being successful, you still want them to get stuck in the school where they cannot, they don't have the chance and opportunity to move forward where they could be challenged more so they could be more than they are. So you basically keeping a whole community in a box. And yet, you're screaming, we care about you, or we want you to be this, we want you. No, you don't. No, you don't. You just want to use and abuse us and throw us in the trash every four years. And, you know, people in poor community needs to wake up. School choice is the best choice for you. If you don't know it, I'm telling you right now, it's the best choice for you. Yeah. Because if you look at the, the high school that Barack went to, Yo, Google it. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen the um, the news episode. Yeah, it's, it's very elite. Said, <laughs> elite school. He was chosen from that school to be your president. So if he didn't have the chance and opportunity to go to that school, you think Barack would be the Barack he is today if he had gone to the public school? Maybe. But I strongly doubt it. Yeah, we have true. To give people a chance. Yeah, it's true, 100%. I agree with you. And you have to give people chances and you have to be innovative. The unfortunate part about the whole situation is, and even connecting it back to distance learning and what we're seeing right now is that you have you know, teachers that are complaining that they don't really even want to do that. You know, they don't, they didn't, you had the teachers unions fighting and saying, well, they didn't want the teachers to be back in school. Um, then you had the teachers now saying, you know, that they don't want to, you don't have to do the extra work that's required to, 
you know, conduct distance learning, you know, for, you know, these students, because it makes their job, you know, harder, et cetera. And unions are kind of really pushing forward with this, you know, and they've been fighting back and forth. And this, again, connects deeper to our, our situation of school choice that we're talking about um, in the sense that, you know, every the reason why we don't have school choice right now is because of teachers' unions. You know, teachers unions specifically target out and in, in lobby against and, and put all of their political capital against school choice. Because if they do not have, you know, if they have school choice, then that might mean that teachers would actually have to put in some more extra work or face the challenge of, you know, having their school closed because they're not providing enough of a service for the students. Be fired. Right. You know, if you're not performing, you're not doing your work with the kids the way you should do it, your ass should get fired. That's the reason that they don't want it because they are selfish. They're not thinking of those kids. They're thinking about their job. Regardless if I'm successful in it or not, you cannot fire me. It's the same mentality. It's a slave mentality. You know, it's, it, it, it's a mentality about self. Forget you. It's about me. So they don't care if, they, if their school, you know, is not doing good. As long as I have my job and I have the union behind me, I'm good. Like in California, they're making demands, you know, from the states, from the governors before they could um, do anything or they say that they would they would not come in to teach. Well, if I if it, if it was me, maybe I should run for office. I will fire all of them and hire new teachers. You, yeah. you have to come a point where you cannot let group dictate what goes on in government, and you cannot let money keep buying government officials. The people have to stand up and put a stop to it. And that's why we're always going to be left behind. Because there's nobody really fighting for us. There's nobody representing us. Yeah. And enough people are not actually getting out there and like making it happen in terms of, you know, what they want to see in their communities and, you know, really having a voice. And the people who do, it's it's very limited, you know, and it's only a couple of parents here and there you know, who really have the time or are motivated to in this in this fight. But and the only way we're going to win is, you know, by really coming out in numbers and really like banding together and saying and showing a presence and saying, look, we really want school choice and we're going to have an election power, you know, to, you know, remove you from your seat if you if you don't support uh, school choice because this is something that could be amazingly beneficial to our children in our communities, and it's unfortunate because you know there are a ton of teachers. You know, a lot of people are employed in the education industry, um, and they do come out feverently. Um, against school choice and they do toe the uh, union line when it comes to going out in the communities and showing their poli local politicians that they will vote um, vote against them. 
you know, or have some sway against them, you know. Um, and, you know, one thing that I find important is that, you know, when it comes to local leaders, I feel like there, there needs to be a way that local leaders need to have some more power, some more say. Um, you know, it's very interesting. I always bring this kind of topic up, you know, amongst a couple of friends and myself when we're having political discussions. Um, but the way I always look at it is, is this. If in the United States we have so much autonomy, right, you know, states have so much autonomy from the federal government. Why then can't we have more states that have more autonomy on the local level or even on the county level, you know, that that's away from their states? You know what I'm saying? Like, why can't it continue to be on this on the same track? You know, and we see that states have an enormous amount of rights, but, you know, counties don't have an enormous amount of rights. Generally, counties and cities just do zoning and kind of basic things like that. You know, but it's generally really centrally managed by the state governments. Um, and I think that's something that has to change as well, because, you know, every county is different. Every city is different just because, you know, just like every state is different. You know, people have different needs. Um, people have different desires. And I think if the people of their respective communities want to have a change or want to see a change, I think they should be allowed to do so. Um, without state intervention. Yeah, I think so too, because most of them, the whole reason why they do the things that they do is, you know, to win new election. Because imagine if you have a big, you know, 18-wheeler, like the teachers union threatening you, saying, if you don't do what I ask you, we're going to make sure you vote against you. It's not only going right. to be the teachers, they're going to convince parents that don't know any better that this is the right thing, we have to vote him out because he's not doing the right thing for us. Right. They're gonna use the parents to do that. Yeah, no, 100% agree with you. Like 10,000% agree with you. Um, and they have a very sophisticated network, you know, like yeah. most liberal um, activism, you know, it's very sophisticated, you know, they have a very big ground game. And unfortunately, the opposition, as I mentioned, didn't, does not have as an extensive network um, as they do. And we need to work on doing that better. You need to, especially as conservatives in general, um, need to work on getting ourselves out there and, and not just being as, you know, spectators. You well, know, we, and in actually putting in the work that's involved and and going out there and being an activist. And, and, and these are things that we discussed. If it had not been for this thing, I think me and you would have already been out there because that was our original plan is to be out there, engage with people, have conversation with people and talk to people. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you speak to someone, even though you don't agree but you see where they're coming from and you know you could re-examine yourself and or maybe they could re-examine themselves and we think the uh, you know the way they think and you know through conversations stuff like that happen a lot a lot of people they're really not aware of what's going on because they are too busy trying to make a living for themselves you understand and you mm -hmm. know 
because they're so busy trying to feed themselves and their family, you know, anything that anyone tells them, they just go for it because they're thinking that's the best thing. Um, you know, and me, that's why I'm fighting and I'm trying to fight with any black or poor or Spanish person around me, you know, to become independent as much as possible. That's the only way you could really have some, you know, uh, um, control over your, your yourself, you know, and you could really stand on your own two foot because as long as someone is writing your check, they could manipulate you however way they want and shape you to whatever shape they want to shape you in. And in our neighborhood, unfortunately, too many people are trying to survive. So because they're trying to survive, they do not have time to look into what people are telling them to see if it's really in their benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And it's just like, you know, and I, and I really wish that people had more time to kind of commit to, you know, being this way, but, and that's also what I see sometimes throughout this COVID situation and COVID there's, you know, we have a miraculous time in history where there are people who have some more time to get involved. You know, they have been able to cut off their, you know, hour commute, you know, by working from home or perhaps they're unemployed, you know, and, you know, living on unemployment for a while, you know, so there's an unprecedented amount of time that people are having these days, you know, and I think if we can just innovate and really kind of try our best to pool our resources and pull people together, we can make sure that, you know, distance learning initiatives are, you know, funded in an appropriate way or executed in them appropriate way. We can also lobby and figure out how we make school choice work um, mm -hmm. in a place like New Jersey, because it would be really helpful um, to all communities in New Jersey. Um, and, you know, and that, that's something that we really have to, to think about and really go forward on. You, you know, one thing that I think uh, would be a good idea for the uh, virtual um, learning, um, what you know, if they actually pay the parents that's actually sitting down doing the work with their kids. Think about it, right? Mm -hmm. The teacher is not actually in the classroom doing the work with the kids. So they're sitting at home online. So the for most kids, the parents have to sit with them. That's the whole day spending with the kid and trying to get the kids you know, to do what they're supposed to be doing, uh, you know, because of so much distraction going on, you know, when you're online with 10, 15 different kids and trying to get everybody's intention. Because remember, to them, this is new. Uh, for the rich kids, this is normal, you know. They, they were born with laptops in their hand, you know. Um, with yeah. our children, you know, this virtual learning thing is a new experience for them and stuff. And, you know, I also think that, you know, for parents that um, does not trust the school system, they should have, you know, those options also, if they want to stay home to, um, to the, their kids, they should be able to do that. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. And, and there should have been like some kind of uh 
a way to figure that out or figure those funds out, you know, and then I know there are some people who would say, oh, no, but then you're saying you're going to lay off the teachers. I mean, but if so many other Americans were were laid off, you know, because they couldn't afford something, then why should, you know, teachers be any different? (laughs) Because they didn't care about anybody else that's just lost their job through no fault of their own. Thank you. I mean, why would the teachers not have that situation? And and then pool the money that you're putting in for that, like you said, to, you know, give some kind of a stipend, you know, to parents, uh, you know, encouraging them even to get a tutor, let's yeah. say, you know, or, you know, being the tutor themselves and having the resources that they may need to be able to, you know, stay home certain times during the week or do whatever they have to do to make sure that the learning is um, set and in place for students exactly. and that they also have a training program in place so that can empower parents um, to effectively teach their kids. Because as you said, you know, parents are a bit disconnected. You know, it's been a long time since many of them have been in school. You know, wow. you don't remember everything that, that that was taught and the appropriate way to teach students. And then you have on top of that, as you also mentioned, the fact that the way that you learn material is very different from the way their parents may have learned it. So it's making it very or extremely hard for them to do that. So yeah. there should also be some kind of, you know, guidebook in place to prepare parents, you know, to be able to teach their students or to at least at the very least have some extensive guidebook that, you know, shows, you know, writes out the exact way that they should solve the problem so that that way parents can just replace it with different numbers or different information. So they have a good way to introduce it and they know what the system is and they can just go off of that answer key. Um, But none of this was prepared. Um, None of this was even talked about, you know, and I'm my only hope to kind of finish off the segment because I do want to talk a little bit about Joe Biden and Trump um, while we still have 10 minutes left. Um, But you know, none of this has been talked about, you know, amongst the schools. And that's a big problem. Um, that's a big problem that we don't have anything in place. And I, I would hope that schools now, because COVID happened, will now put some, a system in place that will be a lot more realistic for if this happens again. Because the price that we've paid is that our students have virtually lost a a year of learning and education that they're never going to get back, you know, and we should have been a lot more prepared or at the very least innovative enough to transition quickly. Yes. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, but yes. So Trump and Biden, <laughs> they're having a debate tonight. I have it locked on my YouTube, ready to watch it. It's been the debate night. You know, it's been contested all year. We've been waiting for a debate between them all year. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it seemed like I I didn't think it was actually going to happen, but it seems as though it is actually happening tonight. (laughs) What are your thoughts on this Joe Biden, Trump debate? What, What are your feelings going into this? Are you excited about it? You know, how do you feel in general about, you know, everything that will happen tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern? I'm not too crazy about it because I would love for it to be, you know, the way it was when Joe, uh, when um, Donald Trump was debating Hillary Clinton, right? 
because it was live, it was fire. I feel like online, they're going to try to control him more and put more restriction on him. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and the whole setup, right? So I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, when the crowd is there, even though they tell them to be quiet, there was a certain topic, you know, when the candidate hit, they can't help but uh, uh, applauding or saying something. And, you know, all those things make me excited for it. I don't know. I'm just thinking that I'm going to miss all those little extra things. I mean, you know, Christopher Wallace, he, he's, he's a good, um, you know, um, uh, um, uh, um, moderator. Uh, I, I, I like him. He's one of the persons that I like watching. In fact, I think he's, you know, for the most part, he's always fair. Um, and I like the, the, the rules that he put in place. No uh, fact checking. <laughs> yeah, he, he put that. Some people would not like that. Oh. Some people would like <laughs> CNN and um, MSNBC. They're going crazy. They're going crazy. They say, "Oh no, they have to be fact checking." He was like, "Nope, there won't be none of that." And I agree with it. <laughs> you know. But then that just kind of plays into the narrative that you know conservatives don't care about facts. <laughs> But in actuality, we do care about facts, you know, but it's hard with Donald Trump because sometimes he is in the realm of alternative facts, yeah, but, you know, but alternative facts, nevertheless, are still facts. It's just another perspective. You know, what? you know yeah. what? Nobody can say what it truly is the real thing. Yeah. Everything is up to perception. Exactly. And, you know, that forced you to go do more research for yourself. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because, um, mm-hmm. because if you think about it, even the fact checkers, you know, who are, uh, who favor are they in? You're looking at CNN, MSNBC, you think they're really going to tell you the truth as um, fact checkers? Because if you go back to history, when he was going against Hillary Clinton, they were still being dishonest about the fact checking that they were supposed to be doing. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, it's hard to find someone who's truly um, impartial, you know, in 2020. You know, I remember, you know, ages ago, there used to be a time where people could legitimately be um, impartial, you know, and just very neutral and ask standard questions and be tough on everyone. But in this day and age, it's really hard to do that. And I'm, I'm very interested to see how Chris Wallace is going to be able to do that. Um, I know for for sure that we're definitely finally going to get some real questions um, posed um, to Joe Biden, which is what I'm really looking forward to. Um, because as you know, the media has taken it extremely easy on Joe Biden, asking him very light questions, um, questions that they would never ask um, Donald Trump, because they always focus on all of the intense questions on him. So I'm very interested to see that finally Joe will have to actually put on his his thinking cap and really express some some real information. And I'm hoping that Chris Wallace will be able to really pull some more policy out from him. Um, at the same time, I hope it's fair, because at the same time, I know that Trump can handle himself. 
I hope you'll, you know, and it will truly be impartial because that is something that I've been looking for all year is, you know, a network that's going to be actually impartial. Um, so I hope that we're going to see that with Chris Wallace today. I think he's going to be because if you like, if you watch the last one that he had with, um, who did he have it? Yeah, I think with, um, Christopher Wallace. I think he um, he was well behaved and um, you know actually listened and answered the question. But you know, um, like to your point, yeah, Joe Biden has been in the basement for a long time. And a lot of those questions um, that they're about to ask, Donald Trump had already had it all year long. Like, there's not a question that you answer, you gave him that he didn't answer. Regardless if you like the answer or not, he gave you a, a response. Um, you know, and that's just what you're going to get from Donald Trump. Um, and the other hand, Joe Biden have not really sit with anybody else besides who he choose to sit with and he pick out what conversation that they want to have and they basically control you know the the conversation if you look at the interview that he had with um um, um Cody B whatever her name is well, like <laughs> he was the one that interviewing her yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> And he was just sitting there listening to what her responses were. It was literally just her complaining about what she wants to see in the country and how she wants to magically pay less taxes but get more services. <laughs> and I was just like, are you kidding me? This is what the situation is. And then you had this this scenario with The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson, he with his endorsement of Joe Biden. I don't know if you were able to see his... his uh, video that everyone was talking about he essentially was just praising people and he pretended to try to be like he you know i'm asking a tough question and then the question just the the one question that he really asked in that interview was you know how do you expect to gain respect from the american people that was like a kindergarten question not only you know, it's not intense at all. It had no policy in it whatsoever. It was literally the easiest thing you could have ever given a presidential candidate. You, you see, you see the hypocrisy on this. His accent about respect, as if he had ever been disrespected by one of them. Barack Obama had the most respect. What have he have done for you? What have, you know? <laughs> Come on, like people have to just wake up and you know and be honest with themselves. You, if you tell me yo, I don't like the way he talk. Good, I agree with you. Find me something. Mm -hmm. Remove your emotional feelings out of it, and let's focus on the policies, and let's judge, you know, them and their policies, because we're not always going to love somebody's answer. We, we're always going to wish that, oh, I wish he had answered it like this instead of like that. It's just human. This is who we are as human. You understand? He is who he is. He's not a politician. So the way he speak, you know, he's the opposite of Barack Obama. He's a, a gangster. Barack was not a gangster. So they have different experiences growing up. They have different backgrounds. So of course, you're going to see a different reaction from them. So, you know, for you to be asking for respect, 
you know, it just showed me that, you know, you all about yourself, not everybody else. Because as much respect Barack had, black people were still being killed under him. So what does that leave you? Right now, you have black people coming out of jail for minor charges where they were given 20, 30, 40 years for small little charges, small drug charges. So which one would I prefer having? People coming back home that's spending a long time in jail for little things that they didn't have to be there in the first place. Especially now we legalize marijuana, why keep them in jail? So my question to you, do you think after this debate, the numbers is going to change? Do you think there's going to be a big shift? Um, That's a really good question, Greg. (laughs) That's a really good question. Um, You know, honestly, I I would hope, you know, obviously I'm going to say my answer to that is going to be yes, it's going to change in a better situation for Trump. Um, I'm hoping that that's the case. Um, but, you know, we still may remain polarized. It, it really just depends at this point, because what do the polls really mean? You know, we've seen from last election, the polls have been absolutely nothing. So is it really a, a segmented situation? I feel like it's just they're picking the right people and it's going to always say that we're polarized, you know, and then, you know, but in reality, the votes in the actual election day itself is going to be the determining factor. Uh, um, I forgot his name. Um, he did the movie. Um, shoot. He was right about the polls um, not, uh, four years ago. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The one person I was right Yeah, about. I forgot his name. The yeah. old white man with the hat, always wearing a hat and stuff like that. Also, Michael Yeah, Moore Michael Moore. Too, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Michael Moore is telling people right now there's a 90% chance that Donald Trump will win the election just like he was telling them four years ago versus Trump versus Hillary. And the reason being, if you look at the polls right now, right, ever since um, Joe Biden picked um, Kamala Harris for um, the VP position, the number have not, you know, moved. Yeah, I mean, because people are not excited exactly. about her because she's not progressive. So that's a problem. So, <laughs> just like people were not excited about Hillary Clinton. And obviously, you need to get people you excited have, to actually yeah. come out and vote. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. Just, you know, you pick a woman, a black woman, and your numbers didn't go up high. Well, it just shows you that people don't really don't care about what your race is. But you know, people care thought, about what your policies are and what you're actually going to do for but them. But he thought that's what people was going to care about. That's why he picked her. Right. You know, he, he didn't think about the policy part of it. They just thought about, oh, it's best to have an African woman there. And so even though if that person is disconnected from the rest of the African people in this country... It don't matter. They just put a black face up there. Right. And I think they learned that identity politics means nothing in the grander scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about the policies and what you're going to do for their actual American people. Um, but on that note, 
we are coming towards towards an ending point um in the in the hour segment um i think that was a really good discussion i'm really excited for the debate and i can't wait to hear it um do you have any final thoughts on the the debate coming into this yes my two final thought is they're gonna attack trump in the coronavirus situation and i think you know um trump did his best to control the situation as quick as he can um nevertheless it happened on his watch but the way he could you know he had the power to come back is the economy because yeah. and, you know even though you know a lot of people are affected the economy is showing to come back and those are the two things that people are gonna mostly you know trying to decide on and i think if donald trump controlled himself and answered the questions you know in a you know um Barack term he's gonna win a lot of people over because there's a lot of people that i spoke to they don't want to say it out loud but they do support him yep and we are going to certainly see that on november 3rd um so i'm very excited about it and um well i thank all of you for joining again um i hope you guys are ex as excited as we are to watch this debate and you enjoy it um and you know please feel free to reach out to us as i always say um our emails respectively are g victorin v-i-c-t-o-r-i-n at mbnusa.com and b wang at mbnusa.com we can also be reached on our, our Instagrams and social media of all that sort by just putting in our names, Brandon Wong, um, Wang, whichever you prefer, um, and Gregory Victorin. Um, so I'd love to thank you guys again for tuning in. And we look forward to seeing you or hearing from you in the next episode. Bye now. <laughs>